<laughs> we will get our act together at some point. Brilliant. Okay, it's lovely to see you this morning, and um, welcome to those of you who are um, uh, joining us on Facebook Live as well. And um, really sorry, sorry that we uh, we were a little bit late um, connecting up, up, but, but um, hey, hopefully, hopefully we we'll, we'll get cracking and we'll be all okay from now on. Brilliant. Okay. Um, a special welcome, actually, to somebody whose first time, actually, believe it or not, in, in the, the gathered, gathered church, church today. today. Um, uh, given that last year we haven't been around, but to Jonah. Let's con- <laughs> hey. He was, what, is it yesterday? It was his birthday. He was one year old yesterday. And um, given the pandemic, he hadn't been to church in the first year of his life. Eh? Well, brilliant. Lovely. To- Hope you had a nice birthday yesterday. But great, it's great to be, see all the rest of you today. And um, I just really pray that today, I know there's only a few of us, I don't know whether a lot of folks are thinking they're just going to wait until we can sing hearts out, which hopefully the next time that we gather together, our restrictions will be eased and uh, we'll be able to sing together. So brilliant. Okay, let's just pray, shall we? And then um, guys are going to lead us in some sung worship. And um, again, you know, sorry, we're still not at that stage we can sing out loud, but you know, we can stand together, we can engage, we can connect with the heart of God, can't we, as these guys lead us in uh, sung worship this morning. So Lord Jesus, we love you, we think you're amazing, and we just want to pray this morning that Lord, you will come and you will inhabit our praises, Lord, you'll be with us in all that we do here, Uh, those folks joining us online, that Lord, there will be a sense of connection that goes beyond our physicality and that is birthed out of your spirit. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, be what we need today, in Jesus' name. We love you, God. We think you're amazing. Great. Okay, please feel free to stay, to stay seated if you want. But if you want to stand, it'd be great if we could stand together and just let these guys lead us in some sound worship this morning. Great. Okay. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Paul. Morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Um, I've just been thinking, because you guys can't sing, I've just been thinking about ways that we could sort of worship together corporately. And so... The first song that we're going to do is called King of My Soul. And I just want to teach you very quickly three words in British Sign Language, if that's okay. So if you, if you make a claw with your hand and put it on your head like a crown, that is king. So that's king. My or mine is just to put your fist to your chest. And then soul is an amazing symbol if you know it. It's like a little sort of puff of, of something. So yeah, so just do that. And so what I want to encourage you to do is every time we sing King of My Soul, if you go... King of my soul. Okay? All right, good. Um, As Paul said, please do feel comfortable. But I would really like you to to feel as much as part of the worship as you can. So I would encourage you to stand if you're able to do that. If you're not, that's fine. But I would encourage you to. And remember, although you can't sing, you can clap. And I think you can sort of put your feet up and down as long as you don't move too far from the seating that is allocated to you. So let's, let's praise God. Remember, you can clap your hands if you want to. King of my heart, King of my soul, you are the one that I live for. No other name, no other throne, it's you alone. King of my heart, King of my soul, you are the one that I live for. No other name, no other throne, 
trust you alone. So let my life be undivided, God. King of my soul. are very excited about three lions at the moment but let's remember why we're here this morning we're singing to one lion we're singing to the lion of judah we're singing to jesus our salvation you know we love england to win tonight but what's far more important is is jesus and our home in heaven and you know that's a certainty that's nailed on that's guaranteed because of his grace not because of our effort or how hard we work or how loud we sing. It's all about that one lion, that one lamb, and what he has achieved. Let's, let's praise him. Coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain break as broken hearts declare his praise. 
Jesus, we want to bow our knee before you this morning. We want to join with the heavenly host who praise you continually, who call out holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Lord, our praise mingles with theirs this morning. We thank you, God. Amen.
From the highest throne to the earth below, you lay down your life for the likes of us. Praise the love of the Savior. From the wounded heart to a life made whole, every human heart will declare as one. Great is the love of presence of the Lord and just encourage ourselves, if you like, on maybe some thoughts that God has already used to stir our hearts this morning, just as we've been singing. 
God be the glory, eh? The purpose of our lives is to glorify God, to be like God. Hey. Thank you, Lord. Maybe just in this couple of seconds, these moments, you just might want to reflect something back to God. Just say something to God in your own, in your own thoughts, in your own heart. Just something to God that just is meaningful to you this morning. Love you, God. Just whilst we were worshipping now, I, I just felt that maybe for some of us today, whether we're here or watching online or wherever we may be, that um, it's time to not be discouraged, to not let ourselves get discouraged. And for some of us, it's felt like we're sort of coming out of the trenches, <laughs> and um, we're really uncertain of what is to be and what is to come. But we have to choose how we manage our emotions. And let's not let ourselves be discouraged, eh? Discouragement sometimes is the easy option. Although it does feel difficult <laughs> to enter in. It feels like an unpleasant experience. It is sometimes the easy option. And Father, we just want to pray, Lord, that as we begin to plan about the way that life will be beyond restrictions, Lord, as we begin to dream of such things, we want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you will meet us in the way that we plan, that you will guide us, that you will lead us, and those that make decisions on our behalf in public life, Lord, that you would be in those decisions, that somehow, Lord, you would influence outcomes. And we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters and friends and around the world, Lord, who are in less privileged circumstances. We pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just meet their needs, Lord. There are those, Lord, that COVID has not meant illness but is meaning lack of food on the table there are those lord around the world at the moment that it it's meaning they can't work and they have no income lord there are so many other implications and we want to pray lord as we begin to emerge from our situation that we will not presume it's over but we'll take the responsibilities that you put before us lord as in privileged circumstances holy spirit continue to meet as we pray Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord. We love you, God. Help us to take the challenges that you place before us. We love you, God. Okay, well, it wouldn't be church gathering without a notice, would it? <laughs> so, um, Henry, do you mind just come and give us your notice and... That's okay. Thank you, guys. Well, it's already been mentioned, isn't it? That um, you know, and um, you know, the football and everything else. And there, there was somebody who said something really famous. I can't remember the chap's name who said, "They think it's all over," and. Um, and in many respects, you could be right in thinking that it is all over. We're about to launch a campaign um, this week um, in, on Wednesday. And it's, it's sadly, it's, it's talking about that 
you know, for many people, they think it's all over, but for many people, it isn't all over. And we're expecting, and we have every reason, we've got lots of evidence to back this up, that it, unfortunately, it's going to be very difficult for many people as a result, especially when we go into the autumn months. And so one of the things that we're looking to do is we've got a recruitment campaign at the moment, so we've actually got some additional funding. We're looking not just for one worker, a full-time person, also looking for uh, someone to work part-time in the community. Like I say, we're looking to get them started, certainly by September, October, when we're really expecting things to get really, really difficult. So uh, if you're interested, I can't, I can't put something up on the screen or anything like that, but if you look at our website, if you type in Reach Haverhill, um, it's reachhaverhill.org.uk, um, or go on Facebook, you'll see that we've got the advert that's being at the moment. Like I say, the closing date is the 16th because it isn't all over. It really isn't all over. It's about just to begin. And so we want to be best, best that we, are, we can be to be prepared to help people who are really struggling and lift them out of darkness and bring them into light. So uh, if you're interested, Ruth, I can see you're interested. You go for it, all right? Okay, get in touch. I'll be there tomorrow waiting for your call, all right? So, um, yep. If you're interested, please do get in touch. The, other, the telephone number is 01440 712950. I don't know if that could be put on Facebook or anything like that as I'm speaking. I don't know who's doing that, but it'd be great. Thank you. Brilliant. You might want to Let's give him a clap, shall we? Just because we can. Brilliant. Okay, let's just pray again, shall we? Uh, Father, I just want to pray that as we think some thoughts from the Scriptures, Lord... Um, Lord, I don't want to presume upon you, Lord, that when we look at the Bible together that we, we hear from you. So we want to ask, Lord, that as we uh, gather around some thoughts that you will speak to us, you will challenge us, and Lord Jesus, that, Lord, that we would be able to serve you more effectively. Look, the things that are from me fall to one side, Lord, but the things that are from you, let them challenge us and change us and burn in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. Just going to read to you... Um, from Luke chapter 22. You know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've, really, oh, excuse me, I've really enjoyed looking through Luke. And, um, and I've liked this sort of like a chapter a day thing. And um, I appreciate that probably many of us have got behind that at some point, you know, or something's happened that day and you haven't read it or whatever. But, but you know, I don't know about you, but I found that lovely, the idea we're all reading it together. And just the idea as well that we can then all be just discussing it. And maybe, maybe there's something in that in terms of the way that we learn stuff together as well, looking to the future, that that idea of all reading the same passage, all bringing our thoughts together. Because I often think, you know, I get up here and talk, that's fine. But actually, we learn best when we learn in community, don't we? We learn best when we have the opportunity to discuss it with others and to think about it a little bit deeper. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm never ceased to be amazed that when I, I can study a passage of Scripture for ages and ages and ages, I think I've got it all tied up, and then I talk to somebody else, and they say, oh, yeah, what about this? And you think, oh, yeah, I didn't see that, you know. Because that's the beauty of the nature of the body, isn't it, you know? So anyway, rant over. Luke chapter 22. And, um, you know, I just couldn't resist really to to just talk from one of the reflections again that I had as I was reading through Luke's gospel. You know, last week we talked about Zacchaeus. We talked about a man who came to faith in Christ. Today we're going to think a little bit about Peter and the 12 apostles, people who were already walking with Jesus, and uh, some crisis, if you like, that they went through. So, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded 
to have you. Literally, in the Greek, it's that Satan has demanded to have you, plural, back, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will crow this day. Uh, the cock will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Football's coming home, eh? <laughs> Tonight. Um, we just look, we'll come back to the passage of scripture in a minute. And um, like you know, we've all alluded it to it. Three lines today. I asked whether we could sing the football's coming home in the part of worship this morning, and Steve said no. Oh. <laughs> He's right, really, isn't he? You know. And um, so yeah, I mean, some of you will think, well, you know, I'm not bothered about the football. And um, uh, yeah, tonight, tonight, when we're watching it, you know, eleven young men will be playing the biggest journey, uh, biggest game of their lives. So I couldn't resist sort of using some analogies from this. I hope it's not cheesy, you know. If it is, then Jack will tell me later. Is that right, Jack? <laughs> if it's cheesy or whatever, or Wendy definitely will, you know. Um, you know, this, t- this evening, 11 young men will play the biggest um, game of their lives, you know. All around the world, particularly in our country, people will be watching that game and... Um, there's a huge amount of pressure, huge expectations upon them. And, you know, whether they win or lose, you know, there will be outcomes for their lives. Um, and most of them, most of them, you know, you could say they've been training for this moment all of their lives. But for most of them, they're probably nearer to 20 than not. They're all young men, aren't they? Young guys. And alongside that, you know, they've had Gareth Southgate, you know, a man who, 1996, I think it was, you know, completely overwhelmed by the situation. You know, if you read his account of how he took that penalty kick in 1996, which meant we got beaten by the Germans in the semi-finals, he would say that he just lost it in the moment. Uh, fear took over in that moment, and he's, you know, he missed the penalty kick. And yet here he is, all those years later, leading us into that cup final. Doesn't, doesn't that say, that's a message in itself, isn't it? You know, but basically he's been preparing that team. Um, and then obviously we're facing the Italians tonight. You know. I can't help but reflect actually, and I'm sorry if this seems a bit cheesy, but I'm going to go there anyway. Okay. 2,000 years ago, 11 young men were sitting with Jesus at the Last Supper. 11 young men whose lives were, had been completely transformed. Eleven young men who had been trained by their manager, if you can let me take the analogy a little bit further, um, for three years they've been trained by their manager, Jesus, for this very moment and for the season that was to come. Only this time the battle was not going to be, the battle this time, the opposition is the devil himself. And the crisis that Jesus is referring to here, the match of the moment that Jesus is referring to here, is these next few days when Jesus is going to be arrested, he's going to be um, beaten, he's going to be sentenced falsely to death, and then he's going to be crucified. Um, the match that is being described here is this um, uh, next few days of these guys' lives. And... Um, 
And it's just interesting, isn't it, that you've got those 11 young men. I know you say they're 12 apostles, but at this moment in time, we're talking about 11. Judas sort of comes off the picture in a little while, doesn't he? And, uh, and, and just they, they're youngest, they're in, you know, all, all that's going. So I just thought I'd reflect on, some, on the battle that we see here, you know. We think that tonight is a big moment, but yet actually this was an even bigger moment. And so Jesus talks to these 12, doesn't he? And so the context here is that they are at the Last Supper. Um, you know, this is the meal that Jesus wants to share with them out of Passover. And in the context of that, these incredibly mature, <laughs> not so young, mature young men, um, start an argument in the middle of the Passover meal to try and establish who is the greatest amongst them. I don't know about you, but that really encourages me. You know, you can have guys who have walked with Jesus for three years and they start up a silly argument about who's the boss in the room. <laughs> I'm, I'm more mature than you. Jesus would choose me over you is effectively what they're saying. And so Jesus has to address that and he talks to them about the type of leadership that he's required if you're going to lead in his kingdom. And he talks about servanthood and how, how the greatest is the least. And, and so he's talking to them about that in this context. And, and, um, and then in the middle of that, uh, directly after that, we get this little story, this little account that is only in Luke's gospel. It's one of the unique passages to Luke um, where he addresses um, this issue a little bit further. And I guess really what we're seeing here is Jesus preparing them for what is to come in the context of their immature thoughts, their immature conversation. You see, eventually he does answer the question, doesn't he? Who is the greatest? He has this little conversation with them. He talks to them about Simon, but also he says, Simon, he's going to say a little bit further on, Simon, when you come back, when you, come back you know, look after your brothers and sisters. In other words, he gives a little clue here. Actually, it's Peter that's going to lead them forward. And so what we get here is Jesus saying the battle that's going to come, the, the issue that they're going to face over the next few days, or this sifting they're going to face, is going to be like a battle for them, if you like. It's the match that they're going to have to face. So he says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has, demand, has, has, has demanded to have you. So four thoughts I'm just going to play around with here, if that's okay. And I um, hope this sort of comes across okay in terms of the way I think they'd like to share it. Basically, we get the idea, really, of, of what Satan wants to do. And although we're seeing it here in a context of this particular time in history for these guys, I think the thing's that we see here are true at any moment in time for any one of us. What Satan wants to do in, a, in the context of a crisis, because this is the crisis that's going to take place here, the preparation that Jesus, or how Jesus prepares them for that crisis, how Peter responds and how Jesus restores. I'm going to do that very, very quickly. So, Satan, what we... Behold, Satan has demanded, or literally, the original, you know, the original language. I try not to get too technical when I'm unpacking these things sometimes. So, but, but you know, in the original language here, some translations, it says, Simon, Simon, um, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And because of that, those translations, we often see an analogy here with Job, don't we? You know, where, where Satan comes before God and, and says, you know, I want to take it out on Job and, you know, in the conversation. There. And maybe there is something of that here. But I'm not actually sure that it is completely what we're, we're getting here. Um, literally, the original language is this, one, this word here, demanded. It, it, rather than it being he is asked, it's a much stronger word than that. It's the only place we see it in the New Testament. And, and in the Greek of the day, it meant to sort of demand, to want to take something back. And so what we see here, and, and, the, and the, the, in the 
the you in the in the first um, in first chapter 31 there is plural. And so literally what we have is Satan, Satan has demanded to have you all back. Uh, and, and so the, the thought is, is that as they're about to face the crisis that's coming in the next few days, Jesus is saying, look, there is a satanic strategy that is one in which Satan, Satan's desire is in this crisis, he is going to try and take you all back from me. He's going to try and remove you from the faith. And isn't that, of course, the strategy that we see in any crisis we go through? It might be the pandemic over the last 18 months, but it might be any other crisis that we find ourselves walking through. All of us have crises in life, don't we? Now they happen. Moments when it just seems absolutely overwhelming and impossible. And the satanic strategy in any of those moments is to try and draw us back from Jesus. He always takes advantage of a difficult time and tries to manipulate it. And he tries to work on what is happening. And some of us know that we've experienced that. Sometimes, and, and it's interesting as well that he's asked to sift them like wheat. Now, I'm, you know, I'm no farmer here, so sorry, Andy, if I get this wrong, all right? <laughs> you can tell me off afterwards. But, you know, when you're sifting the wheat, you know, I think the idea is that you throw it up in the air and the wind gets rid of the chaff, gets rid of the bits that you don't want, and the wheat is purer, it's better afterwards. Is that right? Is that fair, near enough? Yeah, <laughs> probably completely wrong. But anyway, so, um, and the, the interesting thing is that when we see God sifting us in that way, it's always because he wants to preserve the wheat, but what Jesus is describing here is a sifting in which the devil wants to destroy the wheat. And his destruction is to try and call us back. And whether we like it or not, for every one of us, there is a dis- demonic uh, strategy. There is a demonic d- desire to drag you back, to, to take you back from your faith in Christ and to remove you from the journey that you're on. And that's what he's saying is happening is Jesus calls the game. He says, over the next few days, you are going to experience a pressure that is going to cause you to want to just step away from me and to go back. And the devil is wanting you back. He's demanding you back. And then we see how Jesus prepares them for this time of sifting. You know, he's saying, this is what's coming, but now this is how I'm going to prepare you. It's interesting that Jesus addresses Peter here as Simon, Simon. You see, he tells them that the devil wants to get them all back, but he resolves, he prepares them by talking to an individual. You see, Jesus... Jesus is always going to work on us as individuals. He's always personal with Jesus. Although he's working for the whole, it comes down to you and me. He knows us by name and he knows what we're, where we're at and he knows what parts of us work and what parts of us need attention. And it's interesting that he calls him Simon, Simon, twice for emphasis. In other words, he wants me to take this serious. But if you remember, when Jesus first met Peter... He changed Simon. He changed his name from Simon to Peter. Do you remember that? He said to him, "You know, you are Simon, but I will call you Peter." And Peter literally means like a rock. He's he's prophesying to him. The first moment that Jesus meets Peter, he prophesies to the strength in him. He says, "You might be a good, solid sort of guy, Simon, but I see more in you. There's strength in you." And and uh, do you know that that when Jesus first met you, he spoke to the strength in you. He might not have given you a new name, but he will speak to the strength in you. And he still continues to do that. But on this occasion, he says to him, Simon, Simon. And I wonder whether what we're seeing there is Jesus saying, there's a side of you, Peter, that is still rooted, that still is influenced, that is still governed 
by the life you had before you met me. There's a part of you that when when crisis comes, that just reverts to the old man, to the old person, to the person that you were. And he speaks to that part of him and says, Simon, Simon, the part of you that is not yet fully given over to me in the way that it should, that part of your character and nature that is not governed by your relationship with me is going to be manipulated. It's going to be emphasized. It's going to be called upon. And it's, that's what the enemy is going to work in. And do you ever f- feel that sometimes in your walk with Jesus? You know, you're doing well, you're going forward, and then suddenly the old, the old you... The pre-Jesus you suddenly emerges in a crisis moment when the pressure's on and you start to think those bad thoughts that you, about the, somebody else that you didn't, or to use the language that you thought you'd left behind, or to, to sort of, you start kicking the dog again when you've been nice to him, you know, whatever it may be, you know, it emerges. And Jesus is highlighting the fact that the devil will try and work upon your weakness, the bit that is not. And, and, and then he says that he has prayed for him. Now this is, this is when I read this, there's an old Bible um, teacher called uh, um, Campbell Morgan that I love reading, uh, you know, years, books are really old. And, and, um, and, and, and he's writing about this, lifted this out for me. You know, the, the idea that actually what we've really got going on here is the battle of two requests. You see, got the Satan demand, you know, I want them back. And Jesus saying, but I've prayed for you. <laughs> we've got the voice of Satan in the heavenly realms, and we've got the voice of Je- and the prayers of Jesus in the heavenly realms. And Jesus saying, listen, son, you're going to go through a tough time over the next few days, mate. I can't, I can't get you out of that. It's going to happen. And we, you know, it's always one of our mysteries, isn't it, that why does God let us go through the things that we go through? But he does. He does. He doesn't just lift us out of this world. And sometimes... Stuff happens that you just think, this is rubbish. This is rubbish. And Jesus might not lift us out of that, but he prays for us. And his prayer is going to be more influential than the demands of the devil. You know, the devil, sometimes we give too much influence, too much power to the devil and to his minions. And we sometimes think that they're going to win. But actually, Jesus' prayer is stronger. He's praying for you, whatever you're going through. Whatever situation you find yourself in, he is praying for you. And his intercession is stronger. And the product of his intercession is that he can speak to Peter about what is going to happen on the other side of this. He speaks hope to him. And I wonder whether when Peter was going through his denial of Christ over the next few hours and days, whether those little thoughts, those seeds, those whispers of hope were the things that sustained him. He says to him, you know, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And I wonder what Peter was thinking when his faith almost failed when he denies Jesus three times that he knew him. I wonder what he thought when he was, Peter was standing looking at the cross and thinking, there, he's gone. You know, he's gone. I wonder what, you know, but Jesus said, but those words were still there, that your faith will not fail. And when you've come through this, strengthen your brothers and sisters. You see, he speaks to him and says to him, I'm praying that you will sustain your faith, but I'm also praying and I know that there is something more in you that will, your, your calling, what I've called you to, to be a leader in my church, that's going to still happen even though you go through the things that you go through over the next few days. He speaks to him of his calling. And then we get the idea of how Peter responds. Peter's immediate response when Jesus says to him, you're going to have a 
tough time. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna let me down. You know this is all gonna be difficult for you. And Peter's this. Ah, no, I'm up for I'm up for the job. You know I can do this. <laughs> if everybody else falls away, Jesus, I won't. You know I'll go to jail. I'll get. You know. And Jesus says to him, actually, you think you will, Simon? And notice he calls him Simon. Then you think you will, Simon, but you won't. Three times. Before, the, before this very night is out. In other words, in the next few hours, mate, you're going to completely deny you even knew me. Whoa, it's a big journey, isn't it? And then we get the idea of how Jesus restores, restores him. Beautiful story. I mean, we I'm running out of time, really. But just to say how Jesus restores him, Peter, over the next few hours, is going to completely deny that he knows Jesus. And the third time that the cock crows, we read, if you used to read on into the story a little bit further on, um, you know, Peter has really gone out. He's calling down curses from heaven to say, I do not even know the man. And in the moment, in that moment, in the third, you know, just so happens that Peter looks in Jesus' directions and we're told that Jesus was looking at him intently. And when their eyes connect, Peter just breaks down and weeps and overcome. I guess in that moment, with the strength of his own weakness, his own depravity, his own sense of, you know, I couldn't even stand then. <laughs> I said that I could, and he knew me. He knew me. And I've often wondered what that gaze was like, you know, the penetration of that gaze. If, if you want to reflect on this message this week, maybe reflect on that thought. Just what was that gaze like? Have you ever been stared out by somebody? I'm not very good at that game, really, staring somebody out. But when you... Somebody stares and, and, and just catches your heart. And I think that's what he got in that moment. Jesus was still looking at him. We think that when we let God down, that, you know, we think you shouldn't look at us. Don't look at me, God. What did Adam and Eve do? They hid. They took them, tried to take themselves away from the gaze of God. And yet, actually, actually, he continues to look at us. He continues to see us. And Jesus reconnects. And I guess in that moment, Peter felt overwhelmed by the strength of the love and the honor and the respect that he'd known in Jesus over those three years and was reconnected with his heart. But if we read on over the story of the resurrection and, 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 and the next few days in terms of what happens, we'll see that Peter still kept his head down quite a lot, really. And uh, I guess he was still struggling to know what he was going to do with that. And then after the resurrection, in, John chapter, in the end of John's, John's Gospel, we read the story of Jesus turning up after Peter had gone out fishing. In other words, he'd gone back to his old way of life. Jesus had called him to be a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. <laughs> and yet he goes back to his old way of life. And, and nothing wrong with fishing unless you're called to do something else. And in that moment, Jesus meets them and pretty much reproduces the miracle that, that, he, the, that happened when he called Peter initially. And cooks him breakfast, and then sits him down and says, you know, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked Jesus that, Jesus asked Peter that question, do you love me? He didn't say to him, Peter, will you come and serve me and give your life for me? He says, do you love me? He doesn't say, will you obey me and do all that I've asked you? He doesn't say any, any, any demand. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, of course I do, Lord. Yes, and in fact, he got irritated on the third time that Jesus asked him, he says, do you love me? And when he responds, Jesus says to him, well, go and feed my sheep or tend my sheep, feed my, you know, tend my lambs. In other words, be the shepherd that I've called you to be, Peter. 
And it's interesting that Jesus' restoration of Peter didn't start with telling him that he could go out and be the shepherd, do the calling. Be, it starts with, do you love me? See, if we love Jesus, all the rest of it just comes anyway. <laughs> it starts with love. When we try to serve Jesus without love, it can become hollow and empty. When we try to be a Christian without the love really. I have times in my Christian life over the years where I thought, you know, I'm just, it's, I, I just got to do more for God. I got to be doing this and I feel worn out. And I always, always feel and sense and know that God just says to me, let's stop, stop, stop for a moment and rekindle your love. And all that other stuff, that'll come anyway. You'll get all that stuff you're wanting to do. Won't you? Rekindle your love. See, when our first love goes, when that passion for Jesus goes, then other stuff gets harder. And he calls him and says to him, do you love me? And then when Peter affirms his love, Jesus then says, now go and do this. Go and do this. So he connects with him. He draws him into this love relationship. And then on the day of Pentecost, who is it that stands up when you know, the, the Holy Spirit comes and declares to a huge crowd who Jesus is and what they need to do to find him? It's this guy, Peter, isn't it? He stands there and he's refound his way back. I wonder really whether he felt he was worthy to do that. Probably he didn't, but he did it because somehow or another Jesus had restored him. In um, November uh, two, um, 2019, I remember noticing this pandemic thing was, this, sorry, this it just caught my attention, the, um, the virus that was in Wuhan in China. I don't know why it did. Maybe it was because we went to Wuhan a few years back when Wendy and I went to China on our wedding anniversary and, that, you know, and did that bubble distribution and stuff. We, you know, that, that's where we were based and we went out from there. And, and, um, and I just I remember saying to Zoe, I think, I think this, this, is, this is quite serious, this, you know, hearing on the news. And I started praying about it. And, and as I was praying about it, um, so whenever I, I, yeah, you have to excuse me if I get emotional. I don't know why it always stirs me when I think about this. But, but as, as I was praying about it, um, I just saw this wind sweeping the world. And, um, and it was just like I could see trees that were just bending in the wind. And it was rain, you know, like an onslaught on these. And, uh, and, it, and, I, and, so, and I took from that, you know, I, that I knew this thing, this, this virus that was, kind of, was, was going to go global. And um, I also thought to myself, well, what God was showing me was it will be over and done with quick and we'll get out of this. The other side, it will just be like a quick storm. And I think I interpreted that part of it wrongly. It was like that storm, that thing. And for some of us, we have felt like we've been blown by that wind. We've been sifted over this last 18 months or so. Some of us, we've been sifted in other ways. It might not be the pandemic, but it might be a consequence of it. It might be some other way that we've sensed and we felt this sense of blah, just been. And some of it's still to come. Whether I don't want to be a prophet of gloom, you know. Uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to sing out loud and to, you know, go into places without a mask on or whatever. I'm looking forward to all of that, been having people in our home like we've not had of all that, but I'm not kidding myself. You know, this last week I've had people texting me from other parts of the world saying I've got no food to feed my family. You know, and that's not the usual people that, that text it, people that normally have good incomes, you know. And, you know, that, that's not going to go away, is it, you know. 
Um, people in our country are losing their jobs, and you know, Henry's right, that's going to happen. And for some of us, you know, we're going to walk that journey with people, and it's going to seem like a storm. In the middle of that, the devil will seek to make mischief, and we have to choose where we're going to land. We have to choose how we go. For some of us today, I just think we need to let Jesus look at us. Some of us today need to just sit down and let Jesus make you breakfast. (laughs) And tell you and say, do you love me? (laughs) Some of us need to hear Jesus say, feed my sheep. Go This doesn't necessarily be a shepherd. Whatever it is that God has called you to. You need to hear Jesus re-establish. You thought that what you've done, you feel that what you've done has excluded you from what God has called you to do. Let me just say to you, it has not. It has not. Jesus knew they were going to let him down, and he still spoke to them of their future. Jesus knew they were going to deny him, but he spoke to them of their future. And he still speaks to you about your future and to me about my future, even when... I'm doing things that I'm ashamed of. Isn't that amazing? The grace of God. So whatever storm you're going through, whether it's part of the pandemic or whether it's something else, God has got your back. Jesus intercedes for you. Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for you and he prophesies to you in the same way that he did to Peter and to the other 12 apostles. I guess there's other things we could say, but I think I'll leave it there. Guys, can you? let's just pray. If you're someone this morning and you feel that you've felt that your behavior or your lack of passion has excluded you over the last few months or a year or through a crisis that you went through in life. Let me just ask you where you are now, whether you're watching or whether online, whether you're here, or just to say sorry to Jesus. I really want to invite you to hear me when I say to you,